Welcome to Lunch Pell Sermons. My messages begin with the assumption that the Bible's teaching is simple. Love God, do good. With that simple message, the Spirit delivers divine haymakers that nudge us toward becoming better followers of Jesus. I hope this sermon helps you in living God's adventure for your life. Uh, this morning, uh, we continue looking at the book of Jonah, and we are talking about the belly of the beast. And so, as we saw last week, Jonah was called to go to the city of Nineveh, a place who was his mortal enemy. And he did not want to tell them about God. Because he knew if he told them, they would repent. And then God would have mercy on them. And Jonah says, I don't like that plan. And as we saw last week, Jonah is a servant of God, a prophet of God, who is filled with faith, but absolutely devoid of compassion. And as we go through the story of Jonah, it's a reminder as well, uh, this isn't a story about a fish. This is not a story about Jonah. It is a story about God's mercy. And that is the overriding theme of these four chapters that make up the book of Jonah. God is merciful. Let me read our text for us this morning. This is Jonah speaking from the belly of from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your side. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah on to dry land. For this is the word of the Lord. As we go through the text today, it'll be a little bit different format than a typical sermon. I feel like it's always helpful to... Kind of go with the flow of the text in the preaching of the text. And so this chapter, Jonah 2, is a poem that is written um, reflecting upon Jonah's time in the fish. And as a poem, there's a little bit of a flow to it, right? There's a little bit of an artistic value to it. And so as I speak to you today, it's a little bit of a flow to what I'm saying. It means I'm here, I'm there. So it's not a like systematic argument of breaking down points, and this point leads to that point. Sometimes we do that. Today, we do not. One of the things that comes through this passage here in Jonah 2 is the presence of God. And specifically, we see the presence of God mentioned in the aspect of the holy temple, which is mentioned in verse 4 and verse 7. 
as Jonah specifically references looking towards the holy temple. So we're going to take a moment and explain what's that idea that Jonah is bringing out here. And the temple is designed as a place to experience God. And so they built this special place, the temple, and this was a place that they would go and worship God. And they have these instructions for the building of the temple. Uh, it is this magnificent place, considered one of the wonders of the ancient world if it hadn't been destroyed. Incredible structure to reflect an incredible God. And this was their place to meet God. And one of the things that took place in the temples is there was priests. And priests would serve as agents between God and people. And so the priest would essentially barter the relationship between God and people. And the reason I mentioned that is today, we in our tradition hold to the priesthood of all believers. Meaning that we have direct access to God. We don't have to go through another person to reach God. The presence of God is available to you. So it is the difference between a priest and a pastor. So some Christian traditions will have a priest. And the role of a priest today is similar to what it's always been. To be the agent between God and people. But as a pastor, which is what we have in our tradition... I'm one of you. You're one of me. We are all able to directly access our God. We are all able to go into the presence of God. Now, one of the things that I mentioned last week is that Jonah's dislike for the people of Nineveh comes from the fact that they were the great enemies of Jonah's people. And I mentioned it last week, I'll mention it again this week. So, in the founding of Israel, there are 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes are together, working together, and they're unified under the kingdom of David. So prior to that, they have kind of this, like, relationship, but they're all not one thing. They're like 12 tribes who sometimes work together. They have a common identity, a common history, a common ancestry. But when David comes and becomes king over them, they become one. And that continues on with Solomon. But following Solomon, there is a splitting of the kingdom. Two of the tribes will stay and they become known as Judah. And they are centered around Jerusalem, which is the location of the temple. The other ten tribes form what we might call the northern and so these king, these tribes form around the leadership of King Jeroboam. Now king Jeroboam, when he becomes king over these ten tribes, he is awfully afraid that if the people go to worship God in Jerusalem at the temple, that they will no longer remain faithful to this newly established northern kingdom. So King Jeroboam comes up with a plan. And his plan is a most terrible plan. In his plan, he says, hey, I'm going to put up some places for people to go worship God instead of going to the temple. And these become known as the high places. And King Jeroboam is like, nah, you know, if you need to talk to God, just 
go to that little place I set up for you. And, oh, priest, we don't need those. We'll, we'll just kind of make up our own priest. And why does he do this? It's politically motivated. He's simply concerned of loyalty. Now, this setting up of the high places is an absolute stench to the nostrils of God. And prophet after prophet comes and tells the northern kingdom, no, you need to worship God obediently. But the leader after leader in this northern kingdom refused to tear down the high places. And as a result, the Assyrian Empire is allowed to come and destroy. The Assyrian Empire, which capital city is Nineveh, which is the city that Jonah is called to go to. So it's interesting and we have this connection once again in the presence of God. As Jonah's calling upon the temple. Jonah saying, the temple, that's where you go to experience God. Yet his people have abandoned the temple. And it's not that they've abandoned a physical structure. It's that they said, we don't need God in our lives. We can do God on our own. We don't need obedience to God. We'll make up our own rules. And after refusing the message of the prophets, these people are destroyed and lost. The permanently lost tribes of Israel. What once number 12 becomes two. As we think about this passage, one of the things I'm thinking about for us is, where do we find the presence of God? It's an important aspect. Where do we find the presence of God? And certainly one of the places that we do find the presence of God is in the gathered worship, just like we're doing this morning. There's something powerful that comes with meeting with other people for the purpose of worshiping together. And even now, we have people who are gathering with us on the Zoom format. We have people who will be watching on online later in the week. And even though they are not physically present, as I say on some Sunday mornings, we are worshiping in one spirit. Because one of the things we've learned over the last year is we don't all have to be physically in the same place to still be together, to still be worshiping together. To still put ourselves together into the presence of God. And so we have people here in this room and we're coming together to put ourselves into the presence of God. But it's not tied to a building. This building helps, but it's not tied to a building. It comes from a common desire to know our God. And that means people on Zoom this morning are with us. People who are watching later are with us as And one of the things I sometimes hear people say instead of going to church. Perhaps you've heard some variation of this as well. They will say something to the effect of, yeah, you know, I actually feel God a little bit more if I go fishing on a Sunday morning. If I really want to experience God on a Sunday morning, let me go fishing, get away from people. 
and then I'll, then I'll be in the presence of God. I don't need to go to a church to do it. I don't need to get with other people to do it. And as we think of this type of mentality, you know, whatever it might be, like whatever place people would rather go, whatever place people say, I feel God more there. Just got a question for you. Does that idea, does going fishing on Sunday morning to experience God, does that seem more like the high places or the temple? See, the high places were all about experiencing God on the person's own terms. And the fishing excuse or whatever it might be, it's the same. Saying, hey, got it. Let's go do something together, but I'm doing it on my terms. So, God, why don't you adjust to me? That's one of the great things of gathering together with other believers. As we come and we worship our God. And instead of telling God, hey, why don't you adjust to us? We say, we as a group, let us follow our God. Let us adjust to God. Let us come to hear rather than make demands upon God. Next thing we want to look at is person. And one of the things that we see in this passage is that God shows many characteristics of a person. This passage mentions God answering, mentions God listening, mentions God hurling things, throwing things. God banishes, sees, lifts, hears, saves, God even commands. God is a very personal God. God interacts with the people so God is not sort of like thing that we carve and we put on a shelf. The old idols. And that's not usually in our culture how we think of God, is it? Sometimes we might be more likely to think of God as this distant thing that doesn't really care about us. It's way far away. You know, God might exist, but God isn't personal. God isn't listening to you. God isn't speaking to you. It's way out there. No, no, not according to Jonah. Sometimes we also have this idea within our culture that God is some sort of like mystical love that gathers us all together. And no, no, that's not what Jonah's experiencing either. Jonah isn't experiencing kind of mysticism of joint humanity. Jonah is experiencing a personal God. One of the things that we sometimes experience, though, is a personal God feels very far away. And so, you see, as I'm saying, God's personal, you're like, I, I don't feel it. You tell me God's personal, and I feel all alone right now. I feel like God is not there. I feel like my words are going out, and they're just bouncing around into the ether, into the nothing. And it doesn't change a thing. It doesn't affect a thing. And if there's a God, God's just not. God's completely indifferent. And we feel all alone. So we're saying, where is God? Where is God? So a couple of things for us as we think of God who doesn't feel so close. Have we fled God's presence? Have we? Because if you flee God's presence, then you're not going to feel God so much. 
One of the other things is that sometimes I think God sends us out on a voyage. What I mean by that is this. It's kind of like God says, I'm bringing you to the port. I've got the ship ready for you. I've got the mission assigned for you. I've got your directions written out for you. I've got goals put before you. I'm putting you on that ship. And I'm sending you out on a great voyage. I want you to go be faithful to me. And as we go out on that voyage, we don't feel God always there. Because God is allowing us to find our own path, to find our own way. God is giving us the freedom to serve God in the way that seems right to us. All the while, we are remaining faithful and obedient to our God. And on the midst of this voyage, we are serving God. It's not that God's patting us on the back all the way. The reason not it's because we've grown in our faith. We're at a point where God says, I can send you out. I don't need to watch over you all the time. You're not a child anymore that I'm constantly worried about you falling and hurting yourself. You are an adult in your faith. You are mature. I can let you go live your life and not watch over you anymore. You know, it's a little bit like the workplace, right? When you first start a job and your supervisor's always looking over your shoulder, aren't they? Making sure you're doing it right, making sure you're following the rules, making sure you get everything done. But after a while, you hope your supervisor isn't doing that. After a while, you hope you're just allowed to go do your job and get a direction here and there. I think God is like that with us as well. That we're sent out on that voyage. God doesn't need to look over our shoulder anymore. But all the while, we are absolutely, absolutely called to obedience and faithfulness. And it means that the presence of God doesn't always feel so close. But God is still watching over us. And I think for people who have been following Jesus a long time, this is much more their experience. And they say, sometimes God doesn't feel as close as I remember. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe because you've grown a little bit. And God's not needing to watch over your shoulder. Make sure you're doing it all right. God's allowing you to go out and serve God in an amazing and fantastic and adventurous way that wasn't possible when you were younger in your faith. One of the things that we also see out of this passage is that there is a path to God. Jonah shows great understanding of God, and he knows God is close. And Jonah, despite fleeing, despite being banished by God, he knows that God remains available. There is a return path to God. Even though we might flee, even though we might walk away, there is always a way back to God. And we see that with Jonah. Remember, what we, let me back up for a minute. Remember in Jonah chapter 1, when God gave Jonah directions to go this way, and Jonah went the entire opposite way. It wasn't that Jonah stayed still. He went the wrong way. Jonah flees God. 
But here in chapter 2, we find the path back to God. And we see that Jonah prays and that he calls to the Lord. And we're told that Jonah calls for help. We're told that Jonah says, I will look again. Jonah says, God, I remember you. Jonah says, my prayers rose to God. Jonah goes out and finds God. The God that he fled. And one of the things that I ask of you is this question. In the human-God relationship, who chases who? Who pursues who? Now, I think if we're not following Jesus, if we have no faith, if we have no understanding of God, God's after us. God is on the way to show us the truth. And I think of the story told of Jesus, of the 99 sheep. Right? And who does the shepherd go look for? The one that's lost. Because God says, there's one that's lost, and I'm going to go find the lost one. And as that story goes, the shepherd rejoices over the finding of the lost. Not the 99 who were already there. So God is certainly a seeker of the lost. That is absolutely true. But... What about those who have already been found, who have experienced the presence of God and then decide to reject it? What about one of those 99 who knows what it's like to be under the safety of the shepherd, who knows what it's like to be in the presence of God, and one of those 99 sheep's like, thanks, but no, I'll go do my own thing. See you, God. Do we expect that God is chasing that person? As we look through the course of the scripture, it's not so much what we find God doing. Certainly the return path to God remains ever available. But people who have experienced God, we don't find God constantly fleeing after them and chasing after them to yank and pull them back. Just as God gives freedom on that voyage for us to be obedient and faithful, I think God also bestows us freedom to run away if that is our choice. As we think of this idea of running away from God and God not chasing after us, it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? We like the idea of God fleeing after us. Before we come to some sort of conclusion about the harshness of our God, let me tell you a story, a story you might know. The story of the lost sons, also called the story of the prodigal sons, the story told by Jesus. And in this story, this man has two sons. And one of the sons says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you give me my inheritance? I want to go do life like I want to go do it. The father obliges the son flees and leaves and goes to live his life however he wants, pursuing the pleasures of the world. And in the process of that life, the son comes to realize, oh, what? I want to be back home. I want to go live in my dad's house. Even if it's just a servant. Even if I have to come crawling back, I want to be with my dad. 
And as the son begins to return home, where do we find the dad? Where do we find the father who is the God person in this story? We find God essentially sitting on the porch of the house, looking out into the horizon, waiting for his wayward son to come back. God didn't go chasing after that son, but God was so ready for his return. You could see the hurt of the father in the story. His son has abandoned him. And when he sees that son in the distance, humble and defeated and coming back, there goes the father. I'm going to go. I'm going. I'm going. I'm welcoming him back. I'm throwing a party for this son because the one who was lost has been found. And in the story of Jonah, there is a path back to God. Jonah has gone the wrong way. But in Jonah chapter 2, he takes the path back to God. And then there's a question, I think, that's reasonable to ask. It's why doesn't God pursue those who flee from God? Why doesn't God go chasing after? And I think one of the things that we see is that sometimes when people flee from God, they want to return to God on their own terms. So they've left God, they've left the presence of God, and they're like, hey God, meet me halfway. Let's make a compromise. You give a little, I give a little. But that's not a relationship with God. That's not how God works with God is not someone who is in the business of compromise. We are expected to have full devotion to God. Jesus tells another parable. He tells a parable about the building of a tower. And he says, what kind of person goes to build a tower and doesn't make proper preparations and only builds the tower halfway and then runs out of resources? says, what a shame that would be. Jesus is like, you know, that building of the tower and not knowing all that it was going to cost? He says, that's like following God and not being ready to commit all the way. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow God, it's an all-in type of thing. It's a 100% commitment. It's not meet me halfway, God. It's you go all the way to God. And when you're there, you're certainly going to experience the love and the value that comes from being in the presence of God. But don't expect God to compromise with you. Jesus says you need to give up everything to follow him. It will cost you everything. That is what God expects from us. As I was looking through the characteristics that we were talking about today, one of the things that emerged for me as I was going through this, I didn't actually recognize in advance of this, but when I realized we were talking about the presence of God and the person of God, the path to God, it reminded me of the Trinity. The Trinity is this understanding of God that we have that there's three persons to God, only one God, 
but three persons. And there is a fluid but distinct relationship between these three persons. And this is a difficult theological concept that was established to present a difficult and hard to understand God. But we do experience the presence of God through God the Father, God the Creator. And we do find the person of God in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the path to God is always found through the Spirit. The Spirit working in the lives around us. The path to God allows us to come and put ourselves into the presence of God. Because the Spirit is alive and working within those who have committed themselves to God. And I point out this example of these three persons of God that we see emerging in this passage. Because it just helps us to understand that concept more. And see, there's moments they all kind of converge and we see them together. And maybe we weren't expecting to see them in Jonah chapter 2. I certainly wasn't. But there they are, emerging together, the three persons of God. Let's look a little bit more at a few more ideas. God listens. Are we talking? We do have a God that listens to us. And really the question is, are we talking? Jonah was talking. Let's read this verse together. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. Our relationship with God hinges upon two words. Help me. That is where our relationship with God is formed. In those words. And until we can say, help me, then we don't have a relationship with God. When we can humble ourselves and say that phrase to God, it is an invitation for God to step in. So often we're like, I got it. I got it. I don't need your help. I don't want you doing stuff for me. I'll get it myself. When we say, help me, God is listening to us. And I think as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves sometimes in a pattern of life. A pattern of life between the, I got it, I'll do it myself, and the help me approach. And we say, help me in God's presence in there. And then kind of life smooths out for us a little bit. Circumstances seem okay. And we're like, I, I got it, God. Thank you. It's good, but I, we're almost set now. And then circumstances go worse. And we find ourselves again, help me, God. Help me. God answers. Because when we come crawling to God saying, help me, God answers. And then circumstances kind of level out again. I'm like, I got it. And then you see the pattern just keeps going over and back, over and back. Us crying out for help and then saying, no, I've got it. And not always, but certainly sometimes I think that the circumstances in our life will stop doing this if we will have a permanent attitude of helping. 
I think sometimes God allows circumstances to go in a difficult direction to get our attention back. And if we'll just keep our attention on God, circumstances don't need to fall. And some people's life, you'll see it, there's circumstances, right, that's just smooth. And certainly there's difficult moments. There's just part of being human that is difficult. There's loss that is unavoidable. There are hurts that will befall anyone. But if your circumstances are a roller coaster, maybe try an attitude of help me all the time. Especially if you find yourself doing that. I think I got it. Next thing we're going to see is that God flings, will we return? Flings, what a funny way of thinking about God. Um, but there is an idea of God um, sending us out. And even Jonah in this term, uh, in this passage, mentions being banished from God. There is a leaving of God's presence. But will we return? Let's read this verse together. Jonah said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about the temple. We talked about this idea of being banished. And kind of the image that comes to my mind is this. Is that we're in this house with God. And we're experiencing the presence of God inside this house. Everything we want is there because the presence of God is there. But we start looking out the window. And it looks kind of nice outside. And so we open the door to the house. And we're standing at the threshold. Kind of a little in the house. A little with the presence of God. A little wanderlust looking out. Saying, hmm... That looks pretty good out there away from God's presence. And I think what kind of happens sometimes is the moment we step out of the house, whoom, the door shuts behind us. Because, see, we had the presence of God. We had everything we needed. But it wasn't enough for us. God closes that door on us. And we turn around and we feel the experience of being banished. But, but God may have closed that door. The back door is always open. And now we're going to have to walk the difficult journey outside of God's presence to get ourselves back into the house. Back into the back door. Sure, we can take the short route if we want. Too often, we take the long route. We say, oh, well, let me try out this life outside of God's house. Let me see what's here. See if I like it. And we go find ourselves out there wandering amidst a world without God's presence. Hopefully we decide, you know what? God's house was really good. I'm going back to the back door. And I know it's always open. 
So even though we might have been banished, there is a return. Just as Jonah said, he remembered and he looked towards the Holy Temple. He looked towards the presence of God and said, that's where I want to be. Finally, God advances, will we repay? It's kind of like God gives us credit. Are we going to repay it? Are we going to repay it? Let's read this verse together. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And so the end of this chapter is Jonah saying all these things that he will do. And Jonah saying, yes, I will sacrifice to you. I will make good. I will do it, God. It's kind of like he's forced to say, hey, God, I can't do it now. But will you extend me a little credit? I promise to repay it. Hey, God, can, can you loan me $20? I'm good for it. And the fish, under God's command, vomits Jonah out on the dry land. God says, yeah, I'll give you a little advance. You need to make sure you follow through. And maybe you found yourself in those moments where you're saying, God, if you just do this for me, I will do that. Sometimes in our most desperate moments, we find ourselves with this type of attitude that we see here with Jonah. If you do this, God, I will do that. Follow through with it. Follow through with it. Because God does advance us a line of credit. What we have vowed, we need to make good. So if you have made vows, made promises to God in those moments of great distress, follow through with them. Follow through. Thanks for listening to Lunch Pell Sermons. Now it's time to put these words into action and go live our adventure. Let's love God and do good.